Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, thank you for answering back. I got to tell you, I have spent the last uh, week at this gorgeous, gorgeous conference. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rachel. Sorry, let's start there. My name is Rachel, and I am a friend of Restore. I moved to Austin to be part of Moon Tower Church, and so I've been part of the Restore Moon Tower family for the last few years. And so um, Zach asked if I would participate in this beautiful Depending on Jesus series because it's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> So this last week, I've uh, spent the week at this conference called the Beautiful Gospel Conference, put on by this international missions organization. And so there were um, people from half a dozen countries, from four different continents, and people from all over the country, different states across the country, that descended on Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places, to sit and just sort of bask in the beauty of the gospel. So you can imagine that I'm, I'm pretty full. I'm pretty excited. I'm ready to go. But before I go, I wanted to share what the first session, um, the speaker, Brad Jerzyk, who's this incredible um, author who writes books like A More Christ-Like God, A More Christ-Like Way, A More Christ-Like Word, He's a, little bit, he's a little bit excited about Jesus. Um, this is the word he offered us the very first night. And he said, if you've ever been presented with more than one gospel, more than one expression of the gospel, more than one teaching of the gospel, and you've got to that there may, you're not sure what to do with it. You're not sure. And maybe there's a lot more than two that you've experienced. He says, a safe, safe bet. He says, trust the one where the love of God is wider and higher and longer and deeper. That's the gospel you need to cling to. That's the gospel you can trust. And I'm filled with awe and gratitude that a place like Restore Austin being led by somebody like Zach does that. We press in. We press in to a gospel where the love of God is higher and wider and longer and deeper for more and more people. And the thing that really kind of shook me was 
sometimes pressing into that gospel can feel isolating, like maybe other people in your life don't quite understand or receive or experience it the same way. And so you can feel kind of alone. But I'm sitting in a room full of people from four other continents who are hooting and hollering and praising and saying, yes, 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 that is the gospel we believe. And they're all way, way older than me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's right. We're not chiseling this out of stone. We're not, we're not coming to this first. We are simply walking in the footsteps of many, 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 many saints who have gone before us who have said, yes, that gospel, the gospel of God's ever-widening, ever-deepening love. Yes to that. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share a little bit of that beautiful gospel, if that's okay. okay. Lord, we we are so grateful to be a part of this big, beautiful thing called your kingdom. And we are grateful to be a part of the countless who have gone before, who have said yes. Yes to your immeasurable, indescribable, baffling love, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are, Jesus, you are called our, our, the first among many, and you invite us in, and you invite us up further up and further in. And so, Lord, thank you for the invitation, and thank you for all of these beautiful, lovely, wonderful people who are here today who have said yes, who have said yes to that invitation. And so we praise you, Lord, and we pray that we would, that we would encounter your love, that we would experience your love. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And if you agree, you say amen. Amen. That's all we say when we say amen, when people ask for an amen. We're just saying, do you you agree? Do you agree? And you say, yes, yes, amen. I was just talking to a friend, and she said, I just always want to say true dad. I said... (laughs) Do it. Do it. It's the same. We're saying the same thing. Okay. So, so I was at this conference all week, and I had a very, 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 very hard time writing this sermon. And you may not know this, but at Restore, we try to get it in early so that our incredible production team can put slides up on the board for us. I did not do that. So heads up, there's not going to be a lot of slides. So you just have to listen. <laughs> so I went over it and went over it and went over it. I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Finally, the Lord's like, just tell them, just tell them the story. Just tell them our story. So let me tell you our story. The triune God 
which is a word that we use to describe the indescribable mystery of a unified God made up of three persons. Abba God, Jesus the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit. They have always been, and out of all that they are, they created all that is. They made the cosmos, and then right in the middle of it, they made human beings. And another totally indescribable mystery is that they said, we are like them. They said we were made in their image, that we are their representatives in all of creation. Well, all right. That's, uh, that's well and good and, until it wasn't. And um, we trusted them until we didn't. And our distrust led to broken relationships. And those first broken relationships led to more broken relationships, which led to more and more and more. And for generation after generation, these beautiful humans that God loved and made for love spent all of their time being awful to each other and awful to God. But God didn't let the awfulness go. He didn't just let it happen. They reached in and they engaged and they drew in close. And they said, I offer you our very presence to be with you and, and to be for you and to be over you. And so then generation after generation, the trust was rebuilt and then it was broken again and then it was rebuilt and then it was broken again, and then it was rebuilt, and then it was broken again. Until finally, finally for us, God is outside of time. Finally for us, God engaged in a brand new way. Jesus was born. And all of a sudden, the triune God, who made all things, had eyes that were shaped like his mom's. All of a sudden, the God who holds all things together, who invented kneecaps, was learning to walk. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we spent enough time sitting with that. <laughs> Jesus was kind, and Jesus was thoughtful. And Jesus came from nowheresville. <laughs> and Jesus probably had crooked teeth because they didn't have great dental care 2,000 years ago. And Jesus loved his mom. And he loved his dad, and he loved his siblings, and he loved his cousins, and his aunts, and his uncles, and he loved his friends, even when they didn't love him back. And then Jesus grew and became a teacher and a rabbi, and Jesus loved 
his disciples, which are the words that we use to describe the apprentices, the people that came along to learn the Jesus way. Stepping out of the story for just a second, is anybody by a show of hands familiar with the idea of 10,000 hours, 10,000 reps? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the theory is, for those who don't know, that it takes 10,000 hours, 10,000 reps to become an expert at something, to become exceptional at it. Jesus hung out with his disciples, his apprentices, for three years, teaching, showing, expressing, giving, receiving, modeling love. Three years, eight to 10 hours a day, every day? That's nearly 11,000 hours of learning love. In the Gospel of John, we hear that he spent this time and he describes this time where Jesus, having loved his own who were in this world, Jesus loved them till the end. That's how John describes his experience with Jesus here in the world. But Jesus was, um, he was something, right? He, uh, he was so loving, and he was so good, and he was so true, and he was so beautiful that he was such a threat to the status quo. The abusive and oppressive way of being human that everyone had become so accustomed to that those who had used the oppression and the abuse to acquire power used that power to kill him. Because he was, he was too good. But they couldn't conceive. They couldn't conceive of the fact that this nobody from nowhere was in fact the Son of God. There was no way they could have possibly wrapped their, uh, their minds around the fact that he in fact was the creator of all things, that held all things together, and that he held their lives in his hands, but instead he stretched his hands out and offered up his life saying, forgive them, forgive them. Forgive them. And he was broken so that the cycle of broken relationship throughout all of human history could be broken. He was broken so that the broken relationships could be stopped. He ended the brokenness in our relationship between God and humanity Paul describes it this way. He said, God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single Jesus died and was raised so that the union between God 
and humanity could be united forever without brokenness. The one who is fully God is still fully human and he sits enthroned on high, crowned with glory and splendor. And because it is true of him, it is true of us. Because Jesus did this life thing, he did this human thing, and in fact, he was more human than any human had ever been. Because Jesus was and is human, we get our lives back. We get to be fully human because of Jesus. Jesus did it by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he said, here you go, my gorgeous babies. You can do it too. My brothers and sisters, you can do it too. Woo! That's a beautiful gospel. Amen? Yes! Yes! Judith! It is so beautiful. It is so gorgeous. It is so mind-bending with mystery and glory that we can't possibly begin to wrap our heads around it. So I'm going to keep reading people trying to describe the indescribable. And the thing about this passage that I'm about to read that describes this, this truth, this story that we've all been invited into, the thing about this particular scripture that is so interesting is that John, who his entire identity was caught up in being beloved by Jesus. He, he understood his, his way of doing and being all through being loved by Jesus. And so he wrote this beautiful gospel, and he, it's, it's part of this collection that we call The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The thing is, after Jesus ascended to the throne, uniting humanity with God forever in ways that we can't possibly begin to understand, um, all of his friends were like, hey, let's tell people about it, because this is the best story we've ever heard. And so they got all killed. Um, <laughs> Empire was like, mm, nope, <laughs> too good, too good, too beautiful, get out of here. Killed a bunch of them. Um, and by a bunch of them, I mean most of them. Um, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, gone at this point. They've been martyred. They've been reunited with Jesus, and as my favorite uh, professor calls, they've been swallowed up by life. So they've been swallowed up by the fullness of life, which means that John is still here on earth trying to just keep doing it, just keep doing this human thing, and he sees this beautiful church that God loves and he loves and he's trying to meditate on the truth of who Jesus is by the power of the Holy Spirit and he has an extra 30 years to just kind of steep in who Jesus is. Longer than anybody. He gets a whole generation of seeing the church and seeing these people all over trying to figure out, how do we do this Jesus thing? How do we live like Jesus? And John's just like, okay, let's keep trying. You know, <laughs> let's keep inviting the Spirit to redirect us. 
So after all that time and all this experience, this is what, this is what John says in 1 John chapter 4. I, I do have these slides. Maybe. <laughs> John says this. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen, and we do testify, that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have the boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We're fully human, just like our Lord. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and those who ever fear have not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters, <laughs> they're liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot possibly love God whom they have not. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. <laughs> Scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Love, 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 love. Tastes good in my mouth. I love it. I love the Scripture. I love the Scripture. It does such a lovely job of describing the wildly indescribable, and the best way he can do it is love. 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 Sounds good, amen? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. But I wonder if, I wonder if for some of us it sounds too good. I wonder if for some of us, because we've heard, we've heard the gospel and we've heard different things or we've read different 
stories and different chapters and, and spent time in other scriptures, we're like, oh. We might feel something bubbling up in us, like, yeah, okay, but. Mm, yeah, okay, but. And I think that the big, the big, big questions are, okay, yeah, but why is it so hard? <laughs> why is it so hard to love each other? Why are we so bad at it? And so that leads to the second question, well, then how, how, how do we love like that? How? Because I think we would, we, like, we would like to. Why and how? Well, I can offer this morning a wildly, grossly oversimplified answer to the why question. <laughs> and then I would like to lead us in a practice that I have learned um, that can help us move towards answering the how question. Is that okay? Okay. So the why, the why question. Well, sin is the word the Bible uses. It sums up the answer to the why question, the word sin. Don't worry if you're already getting prickly. Stay with me. That's the Bible's explanation. Today, we have modern psychology and neuroscience that offers an answer uh, that they call insecure attachment. And I'm going to briefly explain why I think it's the same thing. Sin is the word that scriptures use to describe the activity of breaking God's laws. It's translated missing the mark, but we have to understand the mark as being human the way that God created us to be human. And we have missed the mark, right? Well, we read in John that God is love. God's law is love. The Old Covenant law was a list of rules and regulations that were ultimately trying to help people love each other well, trying to help them keep each other safe, trying to help each other be people together, learning how to be people together. And Jesus says the pinnacle of the Old Covenant laws are what? Love God. And let, <laughs> love our neighbors. Love our, we know this. We know this, church. Love God, love our neighbors. Love God, love people. Jesus says everything else hangs on this. Love God, love people. So the law of God is love. Okay. Then Jesus takes it a step further. He says this is the old covenant law. These are the primary, this is how we can understand, this is the lens through which we see the old covenant law. Love God, love your neighbor. And then Jesus, at the end of his life, after three years of giving all of these apprentices expert love training, 
He says, I'm going to give you a new command. And the Greek word new here isn't about like new and improved, but unknown, strange, remarkable. Jesus gave them a new and remarkable command. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So the laws and the commands of God to the people of God are laws of love. And then Jesus offers this twist, which I will circle back to in a little bit. But ultimately, we have to understand and we have to reach the conclusion that missing the mark, breaking God's laws, is ultimately unlove, not love. Sin is unlove. And this isn't me just like making a logical leap, like if God wants us to love, sin must be not love. This is literally what Paul says to the Romans. He's got this Roman church who are full of oppressive, abusive craziness, and they're trying to untangle all of the nuts, and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I be people? How do I be people? And Paul says, here, here's this letter. Let's try to be people together. And right smack dab in the middle of it, in chapter 13, he sums it up this way. He says, he's trying to explain the laws, and like, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we do this life together? He explains it this way. He says, love does no harm to its neighbor, and thus it is the fulfillment of the law. You can't get more clear than that. Sin is harming your neighbor, all right? Sin is harmful behavior that undermines our ability to have loving relationships with the people in the world. And I'm going to pull it back, and I'm going to say that again because we need to hear it again because it's important. Sin is the harmful behaviors that undermine our ability to engage in flourishing, loving relationships, both with God and with one another. And when I say behavior, I mean, I, that's, that's a catch-all word. I'm talking about words. I'm talking about actions. I'm talking about thoughts. Because our unlove, our harm to our neighbor starts in our thought life. The people that committed those horrible and heinous crimes this week it didn't start with the behavior. It started with the sin in their harmful thoughts. They started ruminating on a lie that there were different kinds of humans. And when they accepted that truth, they became less human. The Bible takes sin very seriously because sin kills us and it robs us of our humanness. God hates sin. It's not that he hates pieces of your life or your activities or what. He hates when you rob yourself of the fullness of life and love. He hates it when you hurt yourself and the people around you because he loves you and he loves the people around you. So God takes sin very seriously because sin is harm. And it is the antithesis of the love that he has called us to. 
Today, in modern science, we have this unique cross-section of psychology and neuroscience in which we have discovered this theory of how we relate to one another. And there's kind of this consensus brewing of like, this is actually how, how we people. <laughs> like, this is how we are human, is in our relationships one to another. We call this attachment. We call this attachment theory. And so what we have discovered is that our brains, our bodies, our nervous systems are wired for secure, loving attachment. Secure, loving relationships. Trustworthy, enduring, loving relationships. Which is not at all surprising based on what, you know, Scripture reveals about the Trinity, which is the three in one who live for all of eternity, forwards and backwards, insecure, loving attachment. So we are wired as image bearers to need this stuff. But what they have discovered is that almost none of us have it. Ooh. The long and the short of it is, is that most of us have what they call insecure attachment which means that our unsafe, unloving, unkind relational memories from as far back as the first couple weeks of us blinking our eyes open and looking up at our caregivers that gets wired into our brains and our crazy neural maps. If we have had unloving responses, interactions, relationships. I won't ask us to raise our hands because I know it's all of us. <laughs> our brains have some, have some misfires. We haven't received the love that our brains need. And so we have these memories that shape our current relationships. They're finding that it doesn't matter how wonderful and how loving and how secure your household is, most of us have these memories, whether they were with parents or, or friends of the family, loved ones, teachers, somebody somewhere along the line did not turn their face to you and bless you, shine their face upon you and give you peace, which is the Old Testament blessing of God turning his face to his people. Many of us have not experienced that in one way or another. We did not experience people turn their faces towards us and give us peace. So we have unloving memory maps in our brains. So that when we go into a new relationship, we're starting from a place of insecurity. And it doesn't matter how wonderful and loving they are, we're like, mm, are they though? <laughs> and it's not on purpose. It's not on purpose. We want to receive love. We want to give love well. But our brains are, for our protection, retaining some stuff that undermines our ability to pursue loving relationships. The Bible calls it sin. I'm not saying you sinned. I'm saying you inherited this. Harm. You were harmed. You were harmed. 
and God's heart breaks. He says, I don't want you to live through harm. I want you to live through my son who is love. I want you to live in love. I want you to depend on Jesus. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to love our neighbor, to love God and love our neighbor? It's because we've been harmed. We've been harmed and we're carrying around a lot of harm. Whether we mean to or not, whether we do it on purpose or not, we carry around harm and we give it away. So Jesus says, I want, I want, to, I want to heal that. I want you to live in love. I want you to be able to give and receive love freely. It's for freedom's sake you've been set free. I want you to freely give and receive love. So I want to circle back to that, um, that new, strange, remarkable command Jesus gives. He says, I want you to love as I have loved you. In the first John passage that I read, God is love, God is love. We know love because God loved us first. How? How can we give and receive love? We have to be loved first. We have to be loved first. So I want to share with us a practice that we can do any day, all day, every day, whenever we want. A practice of being loved. Because how many of us have ever had the experience of like ruminating on, you know, maybe unloving interactions and relationships? I can't tell you how many memes come across my, you know, my screen and it's like laying in bed two o'clock in the morning remembering that argument you lost when you were seven, you know? <laughs> Why? Why? Because our brains are wired to do that, to replay these memories. So we got to fill our brains with loving memories. And then we need to replay them over and 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 over. And not just replay them over and over, but invite the Holy Spirit of God, depending on Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God, to make them even better. To inspire them with his love. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound good? I got to tell you, I've been doing this for about five years. I was first introduced to these practices five years ago. And... It's not just that there's the neuroscience to back it up. Like, this is literally what our brains need to thrive. Like, we need love. We need love. We need love. But it's, it's transformed me. It's transformed my ability to give and receive love. I was asking my husband about it last night. I was like, what do you think? I'm going to say that it's transformed me, but what do you think? <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. Because it's one thing... To be loved, it's another thing to express love, and I'm still, I've got a long way to go, guys. I've got a long way to go, because it turns out i got a really insecure attachment in here. <laughs> Didn't think I did, but I do. <laughs> and because of that, I enter into relationships with a default disposition of, I can love you, but I don't need your love. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need it. I don't really need it. 
I'll offer you love, I'll be nice to you, we'll be friends. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, I've got all the friends. <laughs> but I don't need my friends. I don't need them to love me until I do. Until I do, because we all do. We all do. So I've been doing this, and over time I've discovered, oh, that's what it's like to receive love. That's what it's like to be taken care of. I, this, is, this is a two-way street? It's transformed me. So I want to share it with you. I'm going late. I know. I'm looking at this clock, guys. I'm sorry. But I want us to do this thing. I don't want to just tell you about it. I want us to do it. And it doesn't have to be long, right? That's the thing is sometimes people are like, here's this new devotional practice and it just takes two hours. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Because first of all, I don't have two hours. <laughs> you don't have two hours. But I want us to... Take out of the handbook of Dr. Christine Kane, a PhD in human happiness and productivity. Because apparently you can get a doctorate in that. Um, who tells us that if we want to establish a new habit, if we want to do something new, if we want to change our behavior, we have to start by setting ridiculously unambitious goals. <laughs> Which none of us like to do. Right? Like, if we're starting something new, we're like, I'm going to do it every day, you know, and it's just like, we, and then we don't do it. We do it for like two days, and then we're like, oh, my legs hurt, you know, <laughs> we don't do it anymore. <laughs> so, we need to start by being ridiculously unambitious in experiencing the extravagant love of God. And I promise you, I promise you, if we just take a teeny, teeny baby step and we just have a teeny little taste, we will want more and we will want more and we will want more. But we just have to, just, let's just start little because our brains are pretty wonky. And when we, you know, step under the flood of living waters that is the love of God, it can be a lot. It can be a lot, especially if our brains are all wonky. So let's start little. Let's start small. Let's take some baby steps. All right, so this is a practice to help us experience the love of God by seeing God. Well, Rachel, he is not here. <laughs> Scripture says us, we have not seen God, but Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And though we have not seen God, we see one another. And we can see the love of God in one another. I, I read the verse earlier, but I'm going to read a different translation because I love it. It says, uh, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. But my translation, the NLT, says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Love that. I love that. Okay. So, how do we see the full expression of God's love in one another? There's a couple steps. Step one. And I want us to actually do this. Step one. Is reflect on the last week, the last month. 
and bring to mind a loving interaction you had with someone. Maybe it was you showing them love. Maybe it was you receiving love. Just take a minute and reflect on a loving interaction. Bring to mind the memory. Re-enter the memory. What were the smells? What were the textures? Relive the loving memory. And then just offer a quick prayer of thanks. Thank you, God, for this wonderful person. Thank you for the way that they love me and I love them. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now that alone is a starting place, right? Bringing to mind loving interactions, loving memories, and replaying them in our minds gets them deeper into our brains, gets them deeper into our nervous systems. And replaying them over and over and over makes our neurons fire. And we can experience all the good feelings that we experienced the first time. It's the exact same science as PTSD, but we're going to use it positively. <laughs> it's, it's literally the same science. It's why PTSD is so awful and scary, because people re in their bodies re-enter the painful, harmful memory. <laughs> and you relive it, and you can't help it, and your whole nervous system is like, ah! So we're using the exact same neuroscience to love, to be loved, to experience love, and to give thanks. Okay. Now this part, the second step. The second step is where things can get really beautiful. So you, you recall the memory to mind. And step two is you personalize it. And that's just the language of the program. And personalizing it means you ask God to tell you the truth about it. Specifically, in the framework of this question, in, in the book of Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon Jesus gave, he said, if you, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven who knows you and loves you and wants to give you good things? Say it a different way. If you, who have been wounded and hurt and harmed and who have insecure attachment, if you can still manage to give and receive love even a little bit, how much more? How much more I, the creator and sustainer of all things, who is love, how much more do I love you? How much more? So we go back to the memory, and we think about how wonderful it made us feel and how loving it was, and then we ask God, how much more? How much more? So I want us to do that. If you need to close your eyes, if you need to focus your attention, 
Think about the memory. Think about how they loved you. Think about how they made you feel. And then ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you just a, just a hint of how much more does God love you. If you're like, I don't know how to hear from God. I don't know if it's my thoughts or his thoughts or I don't know, I don't know. The thoughts that are wider and higher and longer and deeper in love. Trust those thoughts. So take a minute, think about the memory, and ask God to tell you how much more. The next step, as though that isn't enough. As though just meditating on loving interactions and then inviting the Holy Spirit to just amplify them and make them even better. If that is not enough. The third step in the practice is to vocalize it. I can feel all of the introverts clenching. I'm married to one of them, so I know. Um, There is something that happens when a thought becomes a word. There is something in our hearts and our minds and our experience when our thoughts become words. And when God says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I love you in this unique and specific and special way, it is unique and specific and special to you, but it's also for somebody else because that's how God feels about them too. And so saying what God told you and talking about your loving interactions helps us relive it and experience it even bigger and broader and higher and deeper ways. So I will share you mine. Granted, I've been doing this for a few years, so if mine sounds different than yours, it's fine. This past week um, at this wonderful, glorious conference, I had lots and lots of opportunities for loving interactions. In fact, it was like an all-day, non-stop onslaught of love, and my little heart and mind barely could take it. But there's one particular memory that just kind of like fizzled up to the top this weekend. And uh, it was probably, I don't know, the least loving experience I had. But it was still this lovely, beautiful experience where I was chit-chatting with this woman who I didn't even get her name. And it was after the first or second night, I can't remember, it was halfway through the conference. And we're just talking, we're just talking. And she says, you know, she's telling me that you know, she doesn't really have a lot of friends. And as we're like clearing the room, she's like, man, I just, somebody needs to give me a hug. Somebody needs to give me a hug. So I grab her and I hug her. Squeezer. And not one of those like little flipper hugs, you know, that we do. No. Like a I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you. You are so soft. 
I just squeezed her. I didn't even say anything. I just squeezed her. And I held her. And when she first, and you know, I'm that person. When she first, like, went like this to let go, I didn't let go. <laughs> I just kept holding her. And as soon as I didn't let go, she didn't let go. And I just held her until her muscles unclenched a little bit. And we just held each other. And then we released. And she looked at me and she put her hand on my face and she was like, that was so lovely. And then she walked away and I didn't talk to her again. <laughs> so I have this beautiful, glorious, loving, just tender moment that was there and gone. And the Lord says, oh, remember that. Remember that. Bring that to mind. Remember that. And he says, because my darling, I will hold you until your muscles unclench. My darling, beloved, I will hold you even when you go to let go. I will keep holding. I will keep holding. I will cup your face and say, oh, lovely, wonderful. I love you. We can do this every day. Every day we can say, hey, God, how much more? And he says, oh, let me tell you. We can do this every day. The last step is vocalizing it, because the more you vocalize it, the more you remember the memory, the more you engage with it, the more it gets in you. And then once it's in you, you can give it away. The more we get loved, the more we are first loved, then we can give it away. I was going to have us turn to our neighbors and share. I won't, A, because we're wildly out of time, but B, because I know that, I know that this can be very tender. This can be very tender. And I know it's very tender because it was very tender for me when I first did it, and also because our brains are all wonky. So when we even just take 90 seconds to reflect on the love of God, it can kind of touch some pain points. But I deeply encourage you to share with someone you trust this week. Say out loud to someone else what God told you this morning. Not only for your sake, not only for your brain's chemistry, but for theirs. Right? Because that's the point. If we are loved by God, we ought to love others. Right? Okay, okay, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Remember with thanks. Ask God to tell you how much more. Tell somebody about it. And then meditate on it, right? Bring it back. Do it again, 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 do it again. Because we do it with the negative stuff. We got to practice doing it with the good stuff, right? Right. Okay, so... That's it. If you want to talk more about neuroscience, if you want to talk more about this stuff, I actually do have books. I'm not just making it up. I can show you what all the stuff. Um, but before we actually go, go, we're going to end with our table benediction. We've been doing this at Restore throughout the last year, and it's part of the practice of saying out loud what's true. Right? We have to, we have to tell each other what's true. We have to be shaped by what we tell each other is true. So I'm going to read the first part of the benediction, and then we are all going to read the last of it.
Okay?